Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granieri, professor of history at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of the War Room. It is a pleasure to have you with us. If you're listening to my voice right now, you probably already know what a podcast is, and you probably even have an idea of what makes a good podcast and what general purpose they serve. Here at the War Room, though, we are always thinking about what we do, how we do it, and even more, why we do it. Today, we want to pull back the curtain a bit on those conversations. To that end, we have gathered some of the people at the Army War College who have been involved both in producing these podcasts and in encouraging the use of podcasts in educational and professional development. I'm going to let my colleagues speak for themselves to get us started. And so there are three of them with us today. And so the first one in alphabetical order is my colleague, Mary Foster. Mary? Hi, Ron. So as Ron said, I'm uh, one of his colleagues here at the War College. I facilitate seminars involving international relations and national security and strategy. And I also am a senior editor for War Room. Very good. And it's good to have you here, Mary. And Mary also works together with my next colleague here that I'm going to introduce, Dr. Abram Trotsky. Abram. Hey, thanks, Ron. Hi, Mary. Yeah, I taught the uh, online presence and publication uh, special program elective at the War College last year uh, with Mary, and I'm teaching again this year and poised to do the same next. But here I have a different role uh, as Applied Communication and Learning Lab Uh I suppose, co, co-stander upper, to use the military uh, favorite term. We stood up this lab, which is not exactly a place full of beakers and tubes, but a place to help uh, communication and the science of teaching and learning, supporting faculty and students. Great. And the third colleague who is joining us here today is someone who whose voice will be familiar to many listeners of A Better Peace, and that is the editor-in-chief of War Room, Dr. Jacqueline Witt. Hello, so I'm Jackie and I am the editor-in-chief of War Room. I am also uh, the or a professor of strategy at the US Army War College and but I started my War Room like career, right, as the podcast editor because the original editor-in-chief Andrew Hill came up to me one day and said, "I think you are not boring. Do you want to do a podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> a ringing endorsement which does and true and true no less right and which does sort of when we talk about what we do why we do it and how we do it right we try not to be boring and we try to have conversations um i want to start a question for you jackie to get us to get us rolling and that is uh you know you have recorded participated in many podcasts for war room and um, outside of your trying not to be boring, which I, I would like to think we managed to accomplish most of the time, if not all the time, uh, what did you think, or what do you think a podcast should do? Yeah. 
It's such an interesting question because I used to make fun of people who did podcasts. <laughs> and yes. I, you know, I thought like, that's, that's what people do, like, you know, in their basements and stuff. And it, I, I didn't really listen to podcasts, so I wasn't really familiar with the genre in many ways. If I did listen to podcasts, it was often the like very highly produced ones, um, you know, put out by NPR, things like that, the sort of serialized, um, high production value podcasts or the episodic ones, um, you know, like Moth Radio Hour or, uh, you know, TED Radio Hour, things like that, that, but we knew we couldn't replicate that, right? Like we didn't have the budget or the talent, like the talent was talent i'm using air quotes was, <laughs> was me and i don't feel like i have i don't feel like i have a good voice i don't like it i don't like the way i sound recorded i still don't um but we thought that a podcast was going to be an important piece of the journal that we were trying to start because we know that the space is uh, sort of it's both wide open and crowded all at the same time right mm, right there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts to choose from. Uh, but they're also, it's a good way to find a sort of niche uh, audience. And we were hoping to attract um, an audience that was interested in defense and national security and international relations in military and leadership and things like that. And we thought that the, the, the way that we could do that was by producing articles and essays and by producing a podcast, and we thought that we would get, um, you know, a different a different set of of people interacting with with war room products. Right. Uh, uh, our omnicompetent yet silent managing editor Buck Haberichter um, told me before we started producing, and he's just sent me a text reminding me of this that there are apparently, if you go by current listings, about two million podcasts out there although only 730,000 are active. Um, so uh, there's a lot. So there's you could probably get through that like Netflix in a weekend. Right. There you <laughs> go. Depending on, yeah, certainly in the, in the era of COVID, it's quite possible. But this is where I wanted to bring in you know, Abram and Mary. The um, part of the, the online, there's OPPSL, right? So online, uh, you can help me fill in. I heard you say it, and I've written it down a bunch of times. Presence, so me what it is. presence online, and publication for yes. senior leaders. Online presence and publication for Pre senior yes, leaders. Yes, presence and publication. And because what, everything has to be for for senior leaders or for strategic senior leaders. at the War College. Yes. Exactly. That's what that, when when there's an S, right? It's either strategic <laughs> or both. Some, or both. That, that I guess would be the OPPSSL, which it's would a, be even more confusing. But the what? <laughs> how right. have you? How have you in the in the OPPSL when talking to students? How have you? Uh, uh, encourage them to think about the role that podcasts can play in their presence and presentation and professionalism and other P's. We, yeah, we, we pitch uh, the elective as an opportunity to say things that you may not get to in a class assigned essay. Right. right. And in the strategic research project, there's a longer form and research intensive version of uh, what you're passionate about or how you might contribute uh, to your branch or agency, but there's rarely an opportunity to have a passion project. And a podcast is one place where you can either talk a right, you know, talk about something you've written that you maybe 
for an assigned or to make that thing that you wrote actually more interesting and comprehensible to a, to a wider audience. Right. Right. And Mary, what's been your experience when students have come to you and said, I want to do it? Well, I think Abram said it well. It, it's about passion for them. And, and they sometimes they just, they're at ease explaining something. I mean, we all talk about our ideas and we, you know, have a discussion and it's nice to have someone, you know, your interlocutor who's there asking questions or able to dig a little deeper into certain aspects of your topic that you perhaps hadn't considered or, you know, to hear students just give examples or tell stories. It's, it's just a, a more comfortable medium for expressing what, what their ideas are. And, and it's very accessible to others. Right. Well, and I, I was thinking of, you know, I'm one of the reasons why I like doing podcasts other than the fact that Jackie asked me to do this when I started at the war college um, was uh, that I always wanted to have a radio show and I always wanted to talk to people. But I remember that uh, there was a very famous television show for a long time on PBS uh, called Firing Line, which many of you may have heard of with uh, William F. Buckley Jr. And one of the the sort of a gentle mocking criticism of the show is it was like a filmed radio show because there was very little attention paid <laughs> to any of the visuals. Um, and so the idea that you know, two people sitting with one camera pointing at them is, you know, it's not exactly arresting television. And so if the idea of uh, you know, people like it, if they like the conversation, they will watch. But similarly, a, a podcast is sort of a radio show without a radio station or with everybody having their own radio station. So you, you can carry it around with you. You can listen to it when you want to. But um, as, as Jackie pointed out, right, there are different kinds of podcasts, right? There are the ones that are history or, or that, that tell a story. And then there are the ones that are, uh, that are interview programs that are, that are trying to make a point. And then there are those that are more loosey-goosey um, conversational and the sweet spot for a podcast, it seems to me, because it's so so much of it is voluntary, right? It's not being broadcast at a particular time on the radio. People have to decide when they want to tune in. They have to decide when they want to listen. That the goal is to have conversations that have a focus, but um, are relaxed enough that something can come out of it. The problem is, and this is what I want to ask all three of you about, is if it's a relaxed conversation, how? How do the how do good podcasts in your experience, the ones you've listened to, the ones you encourage other people to listen to, how well do they manage to communicate something worthwhile rather than just a, you know, oh gosh, we've talked for 30 minutes, I guess our time is up. Um, how do you how do you how do you balance that? How do good podcasts balance that? I, I can't speak to the ones that probably have the greatest traction because mm -hmm. uh I, I don't I don't listen to Mark Marin, for example, but that mm -hmm. struck me that he was missing the mark in a little bit. I did hear that this is just a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, why is this the most popular podcast in the in, in that universe? Or Joe Rogan, a mystery as well that probably doesn't merit uh, more more of our conversation. But I spent a lot of time listening to producers in the NPR orbit and then their spinoffs, and. Uh, you know, some people come for the production value in mm -hmm. certain of those, the music, the, the, the voices, the, the cultural connections, and then stay for the intellectualism or the, the storytelling. Or in other cases, it's just great storytelling. So in the context of what seems like a conversation, and I'm thinking podcast, it's a big net here, but I'm thinking once of a, of a slightly different format than this conversationally based one, you gather a lot of good discussion, good back and forth, and of course, work the magic that that, that Buck is going to work on us in the background. 
and and make it into something that's just very uh it's got that combination of uh of engineered richness but also improvisational beauty just those <laughs> those moments that you don't often hear uh celebrities or maybe necessarily professors having uh in other formats right okay that's great mary what do you think what makes a what, what do good podcasts do for me, for, for our purposes and what we're trying to do, I, I think with a better piece is it it much, much depends on the interviewer's skill at, at eliciting the right kinds of you know themes and things like that from the from the guest. I, I what I enjoy about it is that if you have a guest who is is knowledgeable in an area, and many times you know for me this is a the way I use it as a professor. The way I use the medium is to offer students primary sources, people that have experienced what they're talking about. They, they may not have had the chance to write a whole book about it. They may not have, you know, their lives are full and, and they may be policymakers or, or whatever. I, for example, I just had my students in an Arctic security class listen to a podcast from a, a, a businessman and he was talking about the merits of, you know, Arctic transit, whether or not it's, it's profitable or not. And that was a whole different perspective for them beyond the military strategies and plans that they may have to read. Um, so for me, it's just, you know, a good podcast involves getting good answers, you know, getting good questions and, and also pursuing those answers. If they're not being answered, that, that's the power of a good interviewer is to be able to explore and get those nuggets from the, from the speaker. Right. Like well, a doula. A podcast doula. A podcast doula. So, Birthing the great ideas. Mm. Midwifery. That's yes. Intellectual. You don't mind that that uh, description of you, Ron and Jackie. <laughs> I, 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 wish, I wish what I did was, exactly. as, was as useful to humanity as being a doula, but that's another story uh, entirely. But the... Oh, right. <laughs> and instead, we've made a podcast. That's yes. right. I, I've got a podcast. Well, on your salary. <laughs> well, I mean, we're joking about it, but actually, this is what Socrates said he was doing: is is, a, is an intellectual midwife. And to the, Mary's point, right. when you have a great discussion in class, that that's a privilege. I mean, right. not everybody gets a seat at this institution, and so, in the best case, these students are replicating, and the interviewers are replicating what a good conversation looks like, including, as she said, pressing them to make good arguments and defend them. And that's right. enriching uh, the, the listener who feels well, in the best cases, I think, like a participant. Right. Abram, that that really brings home a couple of things that, that I was thinking about as, as you all were talking, which is given the podcast format that we settled on, you know, roughly half an hour conversational between a expert and an interlocutor or a small group of experts, um, there's a limit to what you can cover in 30 minutes in terms of depth, in terms of specifics and details. And so one of the things I really hope the podcast does is give people an entry point for thinking about big complex ideas or important ideas or new ideas uh, and doing it in a way that they, that they might then go want to find something else out, right? To go read an essay or to read a book, or to talk to someone else, to start a conversation. So that I like to think of, of the podcast that we're doing as, as a, a sort of provocation. We almost never mm. get to a final conclusion in any of our podcasts. We often ask, you know, for recommendations or, you know, what would you do or what, you know, 
I love to ask historians what they think the future holds, um, mostly mm-hmm. because they hate it. Um, <laughs> but this idea of the podcast as <laughs> the podcast as provocation is yeah. is really sort of important to me. And then at the same time, the other thing that I think prevents it from just being, you know, dropped into a conversation is if you are the host, if you're the interviewer, and if you're the expert, you have to have a sense of purpose for why you're having the conversation. It helps. Um, And so there has to be, it it helps. There has to be a question. There has to be a problem or a motivation, right, for doing the podcast. It can't uh, just be, in some ways, it can't just be a topic. Right. Yes, topics right. are too are too big, but our our world and our world as academics um, and as professors and scholars and thinkers, our world I think revolves around questions and trying to figure out answers to interesting questions, uh, and so that's that's the orientation that we've tried to take, uh, I think mm-hmm. on on a better piece. Right. Well, and, and Jackie, I want to uh, th- uh, that that raises a very good point to continue here, and that is that one of the phrases that we use uh, at the we've tried to use at the War College lately, and that we try to think about when we get people involved in podcasts is public scholarship, um, and this idea of that there is there is a particular kind of work that's involved with bringing complex ideas to a broader public, and yet the very uh, conversational informality of a podcast uh, can lead people to think that it's it's not real scholarship, right? It's not real work. And I, I'm, <laughs> how do you imagine the relationship? And this is for you, Jackie, but also for, for, for Mary and Abram as well. How do you imagine the relationship between public scholarship and uh, scholarship that doesn't require a modifying adjective in front of it? Yeah. Well, at the at a basic level, I'll almost guarantee that more people have listened to podcasts where I have been the the quote unquote expert, not mm-hmm. the host, um, than have read my book. Um, we can track downloads and all sorts of things. I think when I talk to people, um, you know, outside of a narrow scholarly field it's likely that they've listened to podcasts just like we do things like read articles in the Atlantic or read, you know, general interest pieces that people are putting out and there's really good work there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's important to recognize that Um, the ability to capture the crux of an argument in 20 minutes and be persuasive and convincing is a really, it's a very different skill than writing a book or writing a peer-reviewed uh, academic article. Um, but I would posit that it's a it's a very difficult thing to do to do well, and it takes practice, and it uh, is something that not everyone wants to do, and I think that's fine. Uh, if if I don't think it's a thing that everyone has to do, but if you think you have something to say to a, to a broader public or to a non-academic audience than, than podcasting and, and this short form essay writing, I think can be really valuable tools in, in a scholar's, um, you know, kit bag 
in order to get to get their ideas out. I think about you know, I think about my my mom who is a podcast listener. She listens to a better piece. Um she also likes Ron's voice better than mine. Um it's just a just a statement of fact. Thanks, Mrs. Witt. She learns she learns all kinds of things. <laughs> Yeah, Ron's hard to compete with. <laughs> I know. Um, she learns all kinds of things, and we have all kinds of conversations that we would not be able to have otherwise because mm-hmm. of the podcast. Right. Um, and I think that yeah. is that's really important. And I think that's what has kept us going for you know literally hundreds of episodes now. Right. Yeah, that's a great case in point promoting. Uh, conversation on topics that wouldn't normally come up through the medium of podcast, but speaking to, to why that, that that's public scholarship without even having to bill it as such. I mean, because you're having a scholarly conversation or a conversation about the kind of thing that might come up in the classroom um, on the prompting of this popular medium and, and how popular you already alluded to. There's millions of them out there. As you said, uh, Buck tells me, uh, 57% of Americans have listened to a podcast. That's 162 million. And uh, in this year, there's 80 million regular listeners, weekly listeners, of, of which I'm one. I'll say it's a little bit like the Irishman who is startled to discover he was speaking in prose, though, because I thought I was listening to the radio asynchronously, but I was actually listening to podcasts. So these are things that would be on NPR somewhere. <laughs> I just listened to them on my time. But that did get me. That was the gateway drug into the medium. Uh let me just say about public scholarship more generally, it's a refreshing development that our institution has started to acknowledge and reward or award uh, that category. I served on a committee with some members of this this conversation to uh, to acknowledge, not you, Ron, because you were up for up for that. And uh, and I think we'll be again because there's some other outstanding work that I hope people will, will hunt down from Dr. Grenieri. Uh, and, but see, the topic of that one is emblematic. If I recall, you were talking about making sensible the the constitution and its importance i mean what could be more important in a medium like a podcast we're we're beyond entertainment now when you're talking about using surreptitiously this animated thing you made uh not not exactly a podcast but it's in the same same orbit to do civics education i mean so yeah yeah pick up where the schools leave off and and promote uh, public deliberation on on the things most uh promising in improving the republic well, and and do you find and and Mary, I want to I want to bring you in on this because do you find that um, when you talk about to the students how they should be thinking about presenting and and discussing to the public, do they come to the OPPSL uh, elective already knowing they want to do these things, or do you shock them to let them know that there are that there are places where they can publish their essays or that they should consider podcasts as part of their uh, public presentation. We ha- we have shocked them in the past. Um, they they uh, some of them do come. Yeah, there's always a presentation of what the course entails. Abram always does a fantastic job of pitching it at the beginning of the year as a special program, and so the students understand that they'll have an opportunity to publish. It's not guaranteed. Um, they they have to actually produce something that we would care to publish. So. So that's that's part of it. They do have the opportunity, and they don't need to publish with us necessarily. They can also take their products elsewhere if they if they so desire. Going back to your other question about public scholarship, you know, I, it occurred to me this is a very imperfect analogy, but 
before a certain time in our history, the vast majority of people got their information from some speaker who was giving them, feeding them the information sort of, you know, because they may not have been literate and so forth. So it's been a medium that's been popular for a while, you know, good storytelling and, and so forth. And, and, and I just see it as another modality that enhances the variety that I can offer my students because if I could, for example, show them a hologram of the Sicilian campaign as it's you know, unfolding or something in Thucydides, I would love to do that, you know, or show them a good movie clip that really captures the, the hell of that war or, you know, it's a very moving portion of the, of the story. And, and it's, you know, or on the other hand, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it can limit our imagination for example, I don't know if you all saw the the movie Lincoln with I think it was Daniel Day Lewis portraying yeah, Lincoln, yep. and I think he he took great care to be very faithful to what Lincoln actually sounded like based on other people's mm-hmm. reports. And of course, I was horrified. I was like, "That's not my Lincoln. He doesn't sound like that," you know. But <laughs> but that's that's pretty much you know you can you you might not want to hear from certain people. I don't know, but. But it's a very interesting way to to vary up the medium and let people have and and for our for our students, so many of them are are because they're military members, they're very interested in fitness, for example. So they go to the gym, they can listen to a podcast, they can multitask, they can paint paint the garage, whatever they need to do while they're listening to it. It just makes makes for an an excellent you know drive, long car drives. My daughter went to Boston University along with to Abrams alma mater. And, <laughs> and while I was living in Carlisle every now and then I would drive up to Boston seven or eight hours and I could just curate a whole slew of podcasts from Brookings or, you know, whoever I, of course, a better piece, Brussels sprouts, the things that I listen to, I can, I can listen to them on one after the other without interruption and just get so much material while I'm on the road and have a quiet time to think about it and process what I'm listening to. Sure. Is, were you comparing a better piece to, to be- eating your vegetables or is Brussels sprouts the latest podcast that I need to listen to? <laughs> it's a great little podcast on NATO in Europe. <laughs> oh, that Excellent. makes sense. Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that this idea of different modalities and different ways of engaging brings to mind is we've been seeing people at the war college, but elsewhere as well, putting more and more podcasts on syllabuses as what we would usually call readings, right? Like requirements for student uh, preparation to listen to or whatever. And it's fascinating to me because people read much faster than they listen. Uh, And so in terms of pure information delivered, um, you can get, you can pack more into a reading that will take the same amount of time, 30 minutes or whatever. But the way we process information is so different. And so if I ask people to read for 30 minutes a complex and dense text, even if I can get them more information, um, they're more, in many cases, not everybody, but in many cases, they're more apt to listen for 30 minutes. Um, You can also speed up podcasts, which I like. I play everything Mm -hmm. at two times, like double speed, which (laughs) makes everybody sound a little bit like a chipmunk. But it's very efficient. Um, I've, I'm still really sad that I can't listen to a podcast or an audiobook and read something at the same time. Um, yeah, I keep tough. trying to do it. It doesn't. It doesn't work. There are um, limits. 
That's but what think- I'm doing wrong. No wonder I don't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> I've been multitasking that Stop way. Stop doing time. that. You're saying it doesn't work? Like oh, legitimately, no. like this is this is the thing. If I could get a superpower, that that would probably be it. Um See, I all I think of is this uh, idea that no. you can in <laughs> No, I'm sorry. There's a scene in, in broadcast news where Albert Brooks wants to show how smart he is and he is sitting and he's listening to music and singing along. And then he pulls out a book and he starts saying, singing out loud. I am reading while I sing just to show how smart he is. And <laughs> I'm thinking that as Jackie trying to read and listen to a podcast at the same what time. What a triumph. Please. I do. I do. I try it every, every once in a while. It doesn't work. Um, no. But this idea that you can engage people in different ways and use different media, videos, podcasts, um, readings or whatever it is to accomplish this the same thing i think that's really important as we think about accessibility as we think about uh how to pull you know how to pull people into conversations right because that that is the goal after all right is that no one conversation no one reading no one program is going to teach you everything even about the smallest subject, right? The, the best, what we really want to hope for is that it makes people want to learn more, right? Is the, you don't seek a balanced book, seek a balanced library. And so there are different formats as well as, uh, and, but you don't expect any one thing to provide everything. But we have more opportunities now, thanks to technology, and maybe thanks to our experiences in the age of COVID. Right? We can, we're more familiar with what you were saying, Abram, about that. Initially, you thought of podcasts as asynchronous radio programs, um, which mm-hmm. kind of is how they started. And, you know, some of the podcasts I still listen to are radio programs that are not carried by my local station, so I can listen to them mm-hmm. as podcasts. Um, and so, to encourage people to not to listen, but encourage people to appear, right? To for experts to you know accept that invitation to come and talk about their work uh, as another way to reach another audience. We are uh, just about out of time for our usual half hour stint here. Um, I wanted to give each of you a chance if there was any last thing you would like to say about podcasting, about uh, about this experience, um, or about uh, what you would want people to take away from this conversation. I was going to highlight something Mary said uh, about the uniqueness of the medium because uh, I had been thinking about how it's sometimes overlooked in our work where imagination comes in. I mean, creative thinking, you do hear that phrase, but it's all about reason. It's all about rationality. But, you know, in this novel medium, this medium is more like the novel. I mean, mm-hmm. you make the pictures that mm-hmm. goes along that go along with radio. And what I find is that I'm incredibly moved by radio voices and experiences being shared uh, that sometimes move me to tears in a way I just don't picture the the news doing. Or you know, the the the, fo- the you would think that the more senses are are engaged, that the more moved you'd be. But that's not my experience. So um, to to make a little bit of that radio magic uh, and move people is is awesome and i'm i'm so happy that 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 jackie was asked and took it up and that you're carrying this particular torch and that students have an opportunity to themselves uh engage in our class as a requirement uh, sure. where they may not usually uh be, get to be that imaginative right great mary a final thought well, I agree with with everything Abram just said, and I and I, you know, I grew up. I was an army brat, so I grew up overseas, and I remember we didn't have current media over there. We were still watching, you know, 
Bat Masterson <laughs> and uh, Rawhide in 1975. And so, um, so I also, for radio, uh, we used to listen to things like Chicken Man um, on the radio and also um, The Shadow and things like that. So I kind of grew up on, on these, just as he said, you had to really use your imagination mm-hmm. and, and all of your senses aren't engaged in a way that today, you know, we're just flooded with sensory stimuli all the time. And so I, I think it's, something very zen about listening to a podcast and being able to be at peace doing something else while you're listening and so i i mm. encourage students to to find good podcasts out there and and really exploit them for you know for what they can do for you uh, as you do other activities while you're you know in the gym whatever you're doing or reading or reading or, or, or reading if you're if you're jackie Wick. don't fill in any blanks okay yeah so <laughs> reading jackie reading Foss, do you have a <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about being a podcast host and the the privilege that it has brought to me to learn so much about so many things that I have, I would never get to talk about or think about in serious ways, even as part of my job as a, as a professor at the War College where we're interdisciplinary and doing all sorts of things. Um, I've learned more by hosting the podcast because it requires it requires a lot of prep right you have to read you have to sort of know about the 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 guest you have to know sort of about the topic um but it it, it's challenging to me in ways that very few other you know other other things are Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's interesting every time and so the the ability to to really listen to an expert and to really pull out um, explanations and examples and stories, uh, has been really delightfully fun for me. And I hope that that, I really hope that comes across in our podcast series that we, that we put out, that we are learning and exploring ideas along, you know, alongside our listeners. Uh, we might not, right? We're not doing it all at the same time. It's not synchronous learning, but it is for us as much as anybody else. It's a process of learning and exploration uh, that I hope is inspiring to people. Yeah. I, I could not, I could not have said it better. So obviously, you know, Andy was right that, uh, or Andrew was right that you are, uh, definitely not boring Jackie Witt and you're actually quite good at this whole podcasting thing. And it's, uh, it's fun to work with all of you. Um, unfortunately, as I say, we are just about out of time, but, uh, in all of the stats that, that Buck has shared with me, the one to think about, right. Is if you are one of the 80 million Americans who listens to a podcast, or if you're, if you're one of the people who listens to one weekly, if you're one of the 40% of Americans of weekly listeners who listen to one to three a week, or that are of the 19% that listen to 11 or more podcasts a week, we hope that you will make a better piece from the war room. Your uh, one of your options. We thank you for listening to us today. I thank Mary Foster, Abram Trotsky, Jackie Witt for joining us. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. This is fun. It is fun. And thanks thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us suggestions for future programs. We always are interested in hearing from you. And please, after you have subscribed to A Better Peace, because of course you want to subscribe to A Better Peace, uh, please rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice, because that's how other people 
can hear about us too, so that we can broaden this community and bring more people together for the conversations that we have. We look forward to welcoming you all again sometime soon. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.